Hey team, welcome to the Uncomfortable is Okay podcast. I'm your host Chris Desmond. This is the podcast where we sit down with cool people doing cool things. They challenge us to get out of our comfort zones by telling us their stories or by sharing with us their ideas. Today's episode 14 and I'm talking with Dean Watson. Dean was born in Mitcham, Victoria, the same year Margaret Thatcher resigned as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. And up until he was 19, Dean wanted to be a professional golfer. But there comes a point in every aspiring comedy writer golfer's life where they need to trade the fades for the fade-ins. So Dean started pursuing a career in comedy writing. And that's part of the journey that we're going to talk about today. So there's some really important takeaways from Dean's conversation that he had to figure out his balance between his two different passions, golf and comedy writing. He tells us that it's okay to sit with some discomfort for a while before acting on a decision, that things never really feel like a smooth process, and that you actually need to make all the mistakes that you need to make so that you can get where you need to go. And in Dean's experience... Once you find what you love, working hard doesn't actually feel like working hard. We also find out today whether or not Dean actually has days where he isn't funny. I want to thank everyone again for tuning into the podcast, giving up your time to sit down and listen to me have a conversation with Dean today. I'm really enjoying going through and having these chats. Hopefully you're enjoying listening to them. And also... It's been a bit of a uh, geography lesson, lesson for me, actually, uh, listening into where some of the listeners or well, figuring out where some of the listeners are actually listening from. So to my listener in the Republic of Moldova, hey there, reach out to me on Facebook uh, or flick me an email on uncomfortableisokay at gmail.com. It'd be really cool to connect with you and uh, hear a little bit about you. Enjoy my, me and Dean having this chat. Welcome to the Uncomfortable is OK podcast. Thanks for taking the time to have a bit of a chat with me today. Thanks very much for having me, Chris. So, Dean, can you give myself and give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself, um, kind of where you, where you grew up and, uh, and a little, maybe a little bit of info about your formative years? Sure thing. Uh, so I'm obviously talking to you from Melbourne, Australia. I grew up in Melbourne, um, but this is a New Zealand podcast. And <laughs> Mate, this is this is a worldwide podcast. I've got listeners from the US, from Canada, even someone from Senegal actually has been recently listening. So pretty sure that's, that's pretty exciting. Me. So um... <laughs> I don't know anyone in Senegal. So if you're listening, my Senegalese fan, reach out. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I grew up in, in Melbourne, Victoria. I was born in Mitcham, to be specific. Um, the reason that is on my mind right now is because I'm just working on my 
my website, which will be finished by the time this episode is uploaded, um, which will be deanwatsoncomedy.com. So, yeah, I grew up in Melbourne, Victoria, and I wanted to be a professional golfer all my life. Uh, that, that was my calling, I thought. I started playing golf when I was eight years old. And then I, when I, I finished school and I was like, yep, let's carry on with the golf. This, I'm not going to university, none of that, even though I did pretty well in school. I really wanted to be a professional golfer. And so up until I was 19, that's all I wanted to do with my life. And then I did a short course in screenwriting one day because I had it on a list of goals that I write at the start of every year to do a short course in comedy that year, just to, just to see if I was interested. And I did the course, and within five weeks of the the uh, the ten week course, I think it was, I was like, oh no, oh no, I really love this. I really love this. I might have to change everything I am as a person to, you know be my true self and to be happy. Um, one of the main reasons that I decided to change was because I loved golf just as much as I love comedy writing right now. But if I was to continue with golf for the rest of my life, I think I would be a very lonely person because golf, you're by yourself all day. You're hitting golf balls. You're by yourself all day. Even when you're surrounded by people, you're by yourself. Whereas comedy and writing you're also by yourself all day, but there's a balance because the other half of your day is meeting with people, uh, doing podcasts like this, I guess, um, uh, you know, having meetings with people, et cetera, et cetera. So it just was going to be a better balanced life for me, and it was the best decision I ever made. How hard was it to to give up the idea of, of being a professional golfer after have, holding on to that for so long? Um. It was very easy, but very scary as well. I'm, I feel like I'm quite lucky that once I set my mind on something, I'm quite good at going after it and not caring what other people think, more sensible, more educated people think. <laughs> <laughs> so it was quite easy. I remember, that, as I said, you know, halfway through the course, I just knew. I just knew and then I got to the point where, you know, I, I, I knew it in my head before I told anyone. I just finished the the 10-week course, um, which was taught by Tim Ferguson, who's a really well-known Australian comedian and brilliant comedy com comedian, yeah, and teacher. Um, and, yeah, at the end of the course, I just sat my parents down and because uh, I thought they should know first that this is, you know, thanks for all your help for, for all these years. Thanks for buying me the new set of golf clubs that, well, actually, they only paid half. Uh, but this is what <laughs> I really need to do with, my life and this is what will make me happy and I also then had to talk to my golf coach and uh, you know he was a bit teary as well but I uh, you know it, in those situations it's very important to just know what you want and uh, and uh, you know confront those uncomfortable situations because that's the only way to to uh, to be your true self I think yeah, you can you can sit around and kind of stew in those uh, that uncomfortable thing, uh, just kind of thinking, oh, what are they going to say? How are they going to react? Yeah. Uh, what's how am I going to feel about that? And then you just kind of work yourself up and make you feel worse, self feel worse by not addressing it. I think that's right. But it doesn't hurt to just sit with the uncomfortable feeling for a little while first, because sometimes mm. 
uh, you know, it may not be a good thing to go down a, a, a another path on a whim. But it's, yeah, it's not easy, but it's okay to sit with it for a little while before actually acting upon it. Um, you, you were just telling me before we started this that you, you know, pondered a, for, you know, six months about uh, what what you might your next step might be before starting this podcast. Definitely, yeah. I was I was sitting there thinking for uh, for quite a while actually. Um, part of that six months actually was figuring out how to do it as well. So there was a bit of uh, there was a bit of logistical stuff with that as well. Mm. Coming from a physio as a physiotherapist, I have absolutely no idea about uh, audio recording um, <laughs> and podcasting and, and things. I knew how to listen to one. Um, I and I knew how to talk to people, obviously, um, but I, there were a few other steps in the, in the process as well. But I think, as as you say, uh, kind of sitting on that idea and thinking, hey, is this the is this the right idea for me? Um, if I do it, I want to make sure that I do a good job of it as well. Um, that it's not going to be something that's just a piece of rubbish. Yeah, it's the, it's. I think the best way to live your life is to be all in or to not be in at all. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's your work life, whether it's buying a dog, you've got to be all yeah. in. Otherwise, you're not going to get the most out of it. That old thing yeah. of what you put in, you'll get out. Yeah, and otherwise the SPCA come around as well and take the dog off you too. <laughs> That's right. That is very true. Um, I want to go back to one thing that you mentioned, Dean. You, you said that the the course that you did came around because of a goal that you set at the start of the year. Is that a, a consistent habit that you have, or and why did you why did you pick that comedy course that year? Uh, yeah, it's a consistent habit that I do at the start of every year, and I'll check in halfway through the year as well to see how I'm going. I'll just write a list of goals. I've gotten more specific as time's gone by. Maybe, I don't know, that comes with getting older, but I just get really specific. I've got a page of, or half a page of short-term goals, which are like just for the year, and then a page of long-term goals, which are more like uh, in the next five or three years from memory. Um, and then a, a page of like, you know, lifetime goals, if you want, which are more like, um, well, obviously for the duration of my life, however long that goes on for. <laughs> so yeah, it's a habit and I, it just, it's like the more you think of, the mind is so powerful. If you, if you, if you think about what you want, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's a, a pay rise at work or whether it's, you know, a better job or, you know, or you, whether you want a, a really, a really good relationship, if you just think about it and put that energy out there, it tends to come back and not always in the ways that you expect. So yeah, that it, it's a it's a good it's a good thing to do. Writing I find writing the writing out goals at the start of every year just helps me set my course and then I can just stop thinking and just follow my instinct from there. But at first I'm very analytical, but after that I just sort of let it all go and then just follow my gut for the rest of the year. And what was the second half of your question? The second half of the question was why did you choose the comedy course and why did you choose it that year? That's a very good question. Um, I think from memory it would have been just because in school I'd had a little, a little taste of what it felt like to make people laugh. 
my photography teacher at the time, who was, whose name was Mrs. Murphy, she got me to do a speech at assembly in year eight to talk about an artist in residence who was at the school at the time. And I just made it funny. It was a very short speech, but people laughed. And on the back of that, I got to do more speeches. But it all started because of Mrs. Murphy thinking I was funny in class and then giving me a chance to do it to an auditorium full of public, uh, private school students. And of course, you can, as you can imagine, private schools are quite tense situations at those big assemblies. And so it's just perfect for comedy. Um, so yeah, I, I did, I did the course because I guess the seed had been planted during high school. And I thought, ooh, I like that feeling. Let's just make sure it wasn't a fluke. <laughs> um, that's why I chose to do the course that year. Nice. So you've, you've done the course. You've had those tough conversations with, uh, with people and said, hey, golf, is, uh, golf isn't on the cards any longer. How did, how did they react to that? Um, as I was saying before, my parents took it very, or they took it very well. But it was only because, I think, because I was very clear on what I wanted. It's when you're like, oh, do you think I should change? You know, that's when, you know, it's really difficult. But if you're confident in yourself and uh, and you know what you want, then it's a lot easier to get it. And so they took it very well. I'm very lucky they've been very supportive of all the strange things I've wanted to do in my lifetime, from golf to to comedy writing, to professions which do not pay very well, at least in the first, you know, 10 years of your career, I would say. And I'm still within the first 10 years of my television writing career. I've been going for about six years now. Um, and, yeah, my golf teacher at the time, who I got on really well with, we were really close. Um, as I said, he got a bit teary. But I went to the effort to go over to his house and sit him down and tell him properly instead of just shooting off an email so he probably appreciated that because I know I would have. And, um, yeah. it, you know, he has lots of other great students <laughs> since I was there. So um, it was for the best. Um, but, yeah, people took it well because I knew what I wanted. I was very clear about it. How did you go about uh, getting your first job and going out and getting what you wanted? Well, I just tried to be a scientist and learn everything I could about television comedy writing and television comedy because I knew I loved television more than film growing up and so it just felt natural to me to want to go into television comedy writing. But I first started because uh, – so someone in the screenwriting course I did was doing hosting a community radio show at the time on a, at a station in Melbourne called uh, Student Youth Network, SIN, which is on 90 – Point seven FM over here and they were hosting this show so I started just tagging along with them and seen that they weren't any older than me they were about my age and here they were hosting a radio show and they were really funny and the great thing about community radio is that or sin at least is that they also made television shows and I quickly gravitated towards helping out on a breakfast television program. Of course, this is all unpaid. It's community television, it's community radio. But the experience of being a cameraman at first in breakfast television 
uh, which is the position I wanted because you're really close to the action and I just wanted to sort of be as close as I could get without actually being able to write what's coming out of the host's mouths. Um, but yeah, the experience I got from that led me to then hosting my own radio shows on Sin. So those were sketch comedy shows. Uh, so I you know, started building a team of people around me to help write with me and uh, and I just produced it all as well because nobody wants to do that. And <laughs> um, yeah, so that's sort of how I got my start in community, community radio and community television. And uh, actually the federal election over here is happening uh, next week, which will be long after this, long be- long before this podcast <laughs> goes out probably. And uh, they might be taking away funding from places like Sin, which is just a horrific thing for the radio and television industries because that is where everybody gets their start, uh, at least in Melbourne, pretty much everyone, pretty much everyone. Um, so to add to that, yeah, started doing breakfast television and as a cameraman and then I started presenting a segment on that show the great thing about community television is that you can just make mistakes and there's not enough people watching to care. <laughs> so that was that was great. Um, and then the first paid gig I ever had was having an article published in the Age newspaper over, which is uh, circulated around Melbourne. It's like the sixth highest circulating newspaper in Australia, uh, which uh, I guess would be the equivalent sort of as of the Dominion Post over there uh, in Wellington. And, yeah, but before I got that first article published, I wanted to see whether I was good enough to have my writing printed in newspapers, in magazines. So I started sending letters to the editor, to some of my favourite magazines, my favourite newspapers, and they and I just tried to make them funny because I noticed nobody else was writing humor in these very serious newspapers and magazines. So I just made jokes essentially, but topical, you know, I'd make them relevant to a story they'd featured in the previous edition or something like that. And I started publishing them and it got to the point where in December of 2010, I won letter of the month in Vogue and won $700 worth of Napoleon uh, makeup, which I later sold to a... University students for three student for three hundred dollars. So was, uh, I guess that was probably the first money I ever made out of writing. Although it did take me to <laughs> on sell the the makeup. Um, yeah, and and my writing appeared in my letters to the editor appeared in magazines. Yeah, as I said, like Vogue, Rolling Stone, National Geographic, just places where someone like me does not belong. And that gave me the confidence to then write full length opinion articles to try and get published in my favorite newspaper which is the age because i've grown up with it on the kitchen table and i've always enjoyed reading it and uh yeah but at first i didn't get anything in i submitted like 10 articles a full length you know 700 word opinion piece articles um and nothing got published and then you know after that battering i let it sit for six months and then i tried again and then the first one i published after that break they published and that was the first proper official paid writing job. Did they give you any feedback on the ones that didn't get published as to as to why, or you just kind of sent them in and didn't hear anything back? Newspaper editors have no time. They don't care about you, but they're always looking for content, and that's what I think young writers don't really realise. 
even kids in school, they're always looking for a different perspective to put into the newspaper because it makes them look better as editors. And they're always looking for good writing and good content. And if you can just come at it with a fresh perspective, they will publish something of yours in the end if you just keep on sending stuff. So I'd get led, I'd get emails back about ooh, maybe uh, 50% of the time. And they'd just be things like, uh, sorry, can't use this. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> Good. Yeah, exactly. So it's not very, it's not a friendly environment, but once you get, once you get that first thing in, you then have a relationship with an editor and you've solved a problem for them once. And, you know, most of the articles I've had published have been with only a couple of editors because you form a relationship. Even if it's just over email, you form a relationship and they know they can rely upon you. The last article they published of yours got a lot of traction, so presumably the next one will. Nice. And in that six-month break, did you go away and work on anything and kind of change what you were doing in any way? Or it was just kind of clearing the head, taking a bit of a breather and then jumping back into it? I would say that I worked even harder, but I shifted my focus from trying to get my writing published in newspapers and magazines to trying to get it on television. So I was still writing all the time, but I was trying to get uh, my writing on uh, television through community television, Channel 31 over here in Melbourne. Um, I'm trying to think of what the equivalent of Channel 31 might be over there in New Zealand. Um, perhaps Maori TV might be something along, along the line okay. if you take away the Maori aspect, which of course is yeah. nothing like Maori TV. But <laughs> it's just television. <laughs> just television. Just think of a television station with no money and you've got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I just shifted my focus and, uh, and kept, kept writing, but just as, as what you do, you know, that's how you make it get to a point where you can make a living as an artist in, in Australia, in New Zealand. Very similar industries, pretty much the same. Um, you just, you know, look for a different area to get your writing published. If it's comedy writing you love doing and you're trying to get some, a humour article published in a newspaper, then look to magazines. If you don't get them published in there, well... Go write a web series or, you know, write for greeting cards or something like that. You've done both of them. You've written, uh, you've written a web series and you've uh, written, a greeting, written, uh, written greeting cards as well. Uh, is, there, is there a lot of difference in the, in the way that you write for those or is it kind of you, you approach it from the same way? Um, well, they're very, di- very different formats. Um, so a web series is obviously a much longer longer process and uh, mm. is probably done best when you collaborate with someone else in the writing. It can be done as a solo writer, but in terms of making the thing, you really do need a team around you. And that's why fewer people end up making web series or working in television than, say, I don't know, writing a funny status on Facebook. It's just more work, more, you know, you've got to learn to work with people to make a web series, I think. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, the approach is similar, though, in that you want it to be the, you want to do the best you can because people might see it and also for yourself, mainly, because uh, you want to get better as a writer. So, yeah, similar approach. I mean, it's still writing, it's still writing comedy, just different formats, and you only get better by practicing. 
So just going in and doing it is is the best approach, I think. When you got into into the television work, Dean, um, you kind of you you started off you saying on the as a cameraman, but it, you kind of worked your way up to uh, to being a head writer there. Yeah. Was that a pretty was that a pretty smooth process that you went through with that or was it a lot of chopping and changing? Uh, well, in terms of the scripts, a lot of chopping and changing, but uh, it never feels like a smooth process and it always feels like it's you're just winging it, really. So, I mean, I didn't, I didn't become head, a head writer on that show I was a cameraman on, but there was another show that I was a cameraman on as well. It's called With Tim Ferguson. Tim Ferguson being my writing screenwriting teacher who got me into all of this to begin and he let me sit in on the writing room writers room meetings for that show and just just observe and I learned a lot from that about how people work together to make a television show and from there that was like yes I definitely want to be in this room Uh, and then after that I just got involved in shows uh, that were made for channel 31 over here through a through RMI TV People in Melbourne can Google it, or if you're in New Zealand, you can Google it too, because it is phenomenal what this organisation does. You just, you know, pay 20 bucks a year, and they let you make television. So it's incredible. It's funded by the university RMIT, RMIT, sorry, great organisation. And uh, yeah, I just started to write for their comedy shows. So whenever a new show would be advertised as a member you'd get an email and they'd say we're looking for writers for this show apply now so anybody can apply which is why the quality is up and down but still that's how people who really want to do it as a career like myself get a chance to make all the mistakes we need to make to one day hopefully get paid to do what we do so I got involved in a show called Live on Bowen which was a late night sort of a show um, you know, like a Conan Letterman sort of a show, like a Jimmy Fallon late night television. Um, and yeah, just after after the first season, I just I applied to be the head writer and uh, and got in. So they obviously liked my work, and uh, I was able to get along with people. And uh, yeah, and then from there, I also worked on a show called Thirty One Questions, which was a comedy game show. And I co-wrote and produced that with um, a couple of really, really, really good writers over here in Melbourne. Awesome. So it sounds like it's been a, a process where you've kind of gone in, you've you've pushed your boundaries little by little and kind of tested out your ideas, first with the, the letters to the editor and uh, and just kind of biting off manageable chunks as you've as you've gone through and, and just kind of expanding your expanding your comfort zone, um, but you've had a bit of mentorship along the way. You've had a bit of support and also probably just uh, worked really really hard at honing your craft as well. Yeah, that's really all there is to it. If there's one thing, it's just working hard. That's all it is. And working hard doesn't feel like working hard if you're doing something you love. So, um, you know, if I was a panel beater, I would just have been miserable. That is such a tough job, I think, because my I wouldn't I don't love doing that. <laughs> Whereas as someone who loves mechanics and loves cars, 
it's probably it wouldn't be possibly as difficult to them as it would be if I were to try and do it. So yeah, trying to find the the first thing is yeah, find something you love, and that just takes time because you've got to try lots of different things when you're younger younger to find those things you're really good at. Uh, that does take a bit of courage zone you've got to be okay with being uncomfortable you know because you're going to fail several times but that's the only way to do it if you read anyone's autobiography of any any idols you look up to you'll often find that in their early days up until sometimes up until they were 30 you know or 40 even they'll have tried lots of different things and eventually they'll stumble across what they're really good at what their heart's in what they're passionate about um, yeah, just work yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People, people do. They, they kind of say, "Oh, go and do what you're passionate about. Do what you love." But I mean, there's a lot of people out there, myself included, that sometimes you just think, "I don't know what it is that I'm passionate about, and I don't know exactly what it is that I that I do love that I can see myself doing for the for the rest of my life." Um, which I mean, it sounds like you you've been lucky and you've stumbled across that re- reasonably early on. Um, but I heard I heard something quite interesting the other day, and that for if if you're if you're not one of the lucky ones that stumble upon that straight away, then actually do what you're curious about. So if something interests you, like you like you were saying, go and try it. You might find that. Hey, it's not for you. But if you hadn't gone and done it, you're forever thinking, "What if?" Um, and then you you go and do all these different things, and you and you find out that ah, no, they're not for me. But actually, I've picked up a couple of cool skills along the way, and I've I've figured out a little bit of stuff about myself, and uh, had some challenges that I've had to had to kind of work my way through. So the next time that something like that comes along. It's maybe a little bit easier. That's great advice. And also, you... yeah, just doing mm. things you're curious about. It doesn't have to be the high stakes question immediately of, oh, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Just do things that are fun, and hopefully, you'll uh, still be able to pay your rent while you're doing those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the idea. <laughs> Keep feeding your dog. That's as well. it. Yes, everyone has has to yeah pay pay their rent, and you know. I have hosted trivia, for example, something I really enjoy doing as it turns out, but I've done things like that just to, you know, keep, because you have to do something while you're pursuing your passions uh, until you can make a living doing them. So I've done things like host trivia. I worked at a dairy as a cheesemaker for a couple of years in the, at the Yarra Valley Dairy here in, in uh, Victoria, which is a famous dairy. Not quite as they don't. I wish they produced chocolate milk like Lewis Road Creamery, but uh, not to be, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so I've done things like that, you know, collected golf balls on the driving range. I worked for a little while in a kitchen making macarons with, and then it was at the beginning of a company that's now grown and is really successful. And you know, I got fired when they brought in all the the French pastry chefs who actually knew what they were doing. <laughs> Is that why they got big? I think so. They, <laughs> it was all <laughs> my fault. <laughs> you were holding them back. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, and it sounds like they're they're actually quite interesting, uh, 
interesting jobs to have. Um, did have you found that you've been able to draw on your experiences in those jobs to kind of help shape some of your absolutely. writing? Absolutely, absolutely. The best thing to draw that I've been able to draw on from doing those jobs is they just open your mind. You know, the world isn't full of private school students. There's a lot more layers to the human race and going and working jobs like that is great because you get exposed to all ages and people who are passionate about different things. Um, even with those part-time jobs, though, that I've had over the years, I've always tried to only do part-time jobs that I can find something about them that I love. So I love macarons. I love great food, like great cheese. And so that was the seed that enabled me to stay excited about my life, even when I wasn't doing exactly what I wanted to do with my time. Yeah, this sounds like there was a little bit of curiosity there with those jobs for yeah. you. And any one of them might have become a career if I'd really wanted to, but it turns out I don't like being in a seven degrees fridge for 12 hours a day. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably someone out there that does enjoy that, but I can't think there'd be that many. I think the correct term for those people is a head cheesemaker and not <laughs> yeah, someone yeah. who packs the cheese, like I did a lot of. <laughs> you decided at one point as well that you, that you wanted to head over to LA and try your hand there. Can you talk me through how you arrived at that decision? So I arrived at that decision by realizing that I'd sort of in a way hit a wall in that I'd been a head writer on Live on Bowen, which is a television show over here, and I produced a show as well, which I thought was as good a show as I could possibly produce at that time, 31 Questions, which you can find on YouTube. And I just thought that I needed to see what the Mount Everest of comedy writing looked like, which is Los Angeles. It's the place where most of the great television shows in the world um, come out of, really. I mean, there's a lot that, of course, come out of other areas of the world. There's so many from the UK. I mean, some of my favourite sitcoms are Faulty Towers and Mr Bean. If I was to say two shows that were my favourite, those that would be it. However, you know, America is sort of the, it's as big as you can get. And it just, my instincts again just sort of said, you know, as ridiculous as this seems and uh, as, you know, even though I would need all of my life savings to spend six months over there, I just thought that I need to go over there and see what it's like. See if it's a place that either I want to work towards from Australia or whether I want to see if I can, you know, figure out a way to stay there. So I just felt like I needed to do, to do that from a professional point of view in order to grow as a person as well. I'd been living with my parents all my life until I was, you know, 23 at that point. And, uh, 23, yeah, I think 23. Uh, so, yeah, from that point of view as well, I just needed to grow as a person. And uh, I would say that's, the, you know, probably the scariest thing I've ever done is going over there and... Um, getting through customs with extreme difficulty because they thought I was going over there to try and work and take jobs away from Americans. So it took a lot of passion in my eyes, I feel, to get across to the customs officer that I was here just to just to observe. Um, that's, that's why I went to Los Angeles, to further myself both professionally but also as a person. And, you know, it turned out to be the best thing, you know, one of the best things I've ever done in my life. 
why was it one of the best things that you've ever done in your life? Because I was able to further myself as a as a person, put myself out of my comfort zone. I lived in a hostel yeah. for six months, uh, a youth hostel on Hollywood Boulevard, and uh, that is not for the faint of heart, let alone a teetotaler virgin like myself. So <laughs> it is full of challenges. But um, I really, at the time, mind you, but uh, I really, enjoy- <laughs> I really, I really, really enjoyed it, and I treated it like an office, even though I was there to just observe. I treated the hostel like an office every day. So every day I just go out this, you know, beside the kitchen, down the narrow alleyway beside the building, and there was a little seat there, and I'd just sit there with my laptop every day, and I just, I just work as if I was back in Australia. No one was telling me to do this, but you know, I wanted to keep getting better as a writer, so I'd continue writing for Live on Bowen uh, back in Melbourne while I was in Los Angeles. I was just able to email my jokes over every week, and I worked on a sitcom called Fixer Up, which is airing right now on Channel 31 over here in Melbourne. Uh, it's the first sitcom I've had produced, but I was working on that two years ago when I was in Los Angeles. Um, I was a script editor on that as well, and I wrote an episode um, yeah, the episodes will be online, maybe by the time this is out. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, narrative comedy takes a long time to get on, on television in both Australia and New Zealand, so that's why it's taken two, three years to get on the television. But it's finally finally up happening right now, so that's exciting. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I was getting to know my, uh, my now partner while I was in Los Angeles as well because we met online. And we just would Skype all the time. And when you're trying to make a long-distance relationship uh, work um, and you haven't even met in person yet, you start and and you're living in a place where you've got no friends really, you realise very quickly you sort out some priorities. So for me, I worked out that I really, really wanted to, uh, yeah, be with someone and not just be a single person all my life. And that was something really important to me. That was one of the main things that I learned from being in Los Angeles. I'd say that I, you know, sort of like how I didn't want to be lonely for the rest of my life as a golfer. You know, I didn't want to be lonely for the rest of my life uh, as a comedy writer either. So I'd fixed the work aspect of being lonely. Now I needed to sort of fix the personal life aspect of being lonely. And being in Los Angeles made that very clear. Do you think you would have learned that uh, as well if you'd stayed in Australia? Or do you think just kind of LA kind of expedited that process a little bit for LA you? LA just fast-forwarded everything, really, even though I wasn't working while I was over there, which, of course, you know, will make the customs officers listening to this very happy indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, it just, it just fast-forwarded everything. Um, it, you know, taught me how to iron my own clothes, taught me how to or washing <laughs> clean up after myself yeah. um yeah so it was great it just fast forwarded everything cool all important skills to have actually i've um i've just found out a couple of months ago that i've been ironing ironing shirts all wrong <laughs> someone someone showed me how to how to do it and uh i've, I've changed my technique with it so actually they, the shirts come out so much better i was rubbish at the sleeves but i've 
I've uh, managed to fix it up. So maybe I'll put that in the show notes, actually, the, the correct technique for ironing a shirt. I think it's quite valuable. As long as you put DeanWatsonComedy.com first, I'm totally fine. <laughs> yeah, I'll have that above. <laughs> I can send you I can send you the uh the technique as well if you wanted to put it on your website. <laughs> or I could just ask my partner. Dean Watson Yeah, Dean Watson comedy and life skills. <laughs> so Dean, did you get a bit of an insight into the LA kind of writing scene while you were there as well? And did that does that differ much from the Australian and New Zealand scene? In such a huge way. You only really learn this stuff once you go over there as well. Before I went, I spoke to so many people who had either been there or knew people there to try and get some connections. And I thought I knew everything, but you don't know anything about any country in the world until you've actually been there and lived in it for longer than a week, I would say. So the biggest difference between the Australian television film industry and the American television film industry would be that here in Australia and over there in New Zealand as well, we rely on government funding to make stuff. In America, they have studios that are their own independent organisms that make their own money. They can do whatever they want with it. There's no one telling them what to do. Well, I guess they're shareholders, but <laughs> besides that, there's no one really telling them what to, what to do. So they can, they can make whatever they want without worrying about what the government will think. And so over here at Australia and New Zealand, our budgets are much smaller. So we can, we, you know, we can, it's difficult to make a Game of Thrones. You can't make an extravagant production like that without some serious production savvy. Um, or at least by doing a co-production, you know, which is where you get some funding from, you know, a different country on top of the funding you're getting from home as well. So they're the biggest differences. Also a big difference is that in America, writers actually write a lot. Here in Australia, writers, there's a lot of people who call themselves writers who don't write, which is just, you know, I mean, it's, it's not, Great. Over here, people write less, I think, because there isn't quite as much competition and there isn't quite the same degree of, uh, there's not the same number of opportunities. There's, not, you know, uh, there's no one good reason. These are all fluff reasons that I'm giving because there's no good reason why you shouldn't write a lot. But um, yeah, people just don't write as much over here. But the ones that end up getting the jobs, do write a lot. So that's the key both in America and over here. But when you go to the States, you see how serious people are about their work, how professional they take, how professionally they uh, uh, take, take their work and themselves. Um, of course, there is even more people over there who uh, are all talk. You know, that's a stereotype with Los, Los Angeles. But I believe, you know, Americans are so positive and that was so refreshing going over there. Australians and New Zealanders, we ever think of the tall poppy syndrome, right, where you're not allowed to put yourself out there. And if you do, we're going to hammer that nail down into the wood until you know your place. Over in America, people talk about what they're working on and they talk about it with excitement and, uh, and passion and, and all that. And, and, and you don't cringe because over there, that's what you do. It's a pitching culture. You're pitching yourself. You're pitching your work. Um, so probably from a, a mindset, in terms of how to conduct myself in business and as a creative person, that positive mindset was one of the best things I got out of 
going over there and seeing what they do in the industry over there compared to what we do over here. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that you make there, actually, and how they approach approach their work and and actually putting yourself out there. I think in Australia and New Zealand is quite challenging sometimes mm. that you kind of think someone's about to say to you, "Bro, stop being a hard <laughs> out." That that you just kind of you're worried that people are going to perceive you as quite arrogant and quite quite forward by by talking about your ideas and uh and kind of not talking about the All Blacks or the <laughs> AFL in, in Melbourne that uh people aren't aren't gonna sort of uh, respond that well to that, you. But that's, I, that's very true. Um I was just writing up some of my old notebooks, uh, like one I carried around with me when I was in Los Angeles just yesterday and I found um a, a quote in there that I'd written down. I went to a talk where uh, David Fincher, the director, gave a talk. Um, he's a guy who's directed films like The Social Network and Fight Club. So he's one of the great directors of all time. And anyway, I just afterwards, because he comes across as such a confident person, I wanted to ask him, you know, how do you be confident essentially and how do you get your way when there's so many other people telling you what to do in the creative process? And he told me, and this was the quote that I had in my notebook. He said, go politely, but tell everyone to go fuck themselves. <laughs> nice. You can't really talk. In a polite way. <laughs> so, and that is really great <laughs> advice, I think, not just because it's coming from David Fincher. It could come from anyone. But I think it's really good advice and uh, something I try to keep in mind as well because I did remember that. I have remembered that quote even though I only dug it up the other day. It's not a bad motto to have, I think, at at some point. Yes, very true. You have to know, you have to, sometimes you just have to, you get to a point where you just have to say, I hear you, I respect your opinion, but I want to go catch up with my friend. Amuse <laughs> <laughs> yourself, it's <laughs> yeah. not my problem, what you do tonight. <laughs> yeah. So, Dean, you were, a, you were in LA for about six months? Six months, yes. Yeah, and that was that the amount of time that you'd always planned on being there before coming back? Yeah, I did a lot of research into how I could spend the most time in LA without needing a working visa. So I ended up going on a thing called a B1 visa, which is a business visa, which you just apply for. So it's a bit different to a visa waiver. Australians and New Zealanders can go to places like America on that, um, which only allows you 30, uh, sorry, 90 days. Um, of course, you'll have to double check this because this was two, three years ago now. Um, but yeah, I went on a B1 visa, which right. gives you the option after three months to extend your stay to a further, uh, to a total of six months. So yeah, B1 or B2 visa allows you to stay there for six months. Of course, you're not allowed to work in that time. So that's a pretty key detail. You need to have quite a lot saved up to, to, um, hang out there for that period of time if you so choose to do so but that's the longest time you can stay in america if you're an australian or new zealander um, that i discovered if you uh, don't have a working visa let's uh we might uh get into a bit of a travel show niche <laughs> as well we can we can start to develop that aspect of the podcast i think um but was it hard to come back to because uh, you you came back to New Zealand after the after the states. Uh, I came back to Australia. I came home for yeah. about two weeks, 
to actually meet my now partner in person. And the plan, and the plan was, yeah, come back, meet her in person. Uh, her name is Felicity, by the way. Um, meet Felicity in person. And then if we got along in person as well as we had over Skype, we'd been talking online for like 10 months. So it was a long term online relationship. And then we met in person. It was so much better in person when I came back from Los Angeles. And so I decided to, um, yeah, move to New Zealand with her. Um, because she's a Kiwi Malaysian and she was living in uh, Wellington at the time. So uh, it was difficult to come home because part of me felt like, in a way, I was, I'd was i failed because I went to Los Angeles with the hope that I might be able to one day you know, work there and it felt like going home was a, 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 quite a, a failure, like I'd failed. But... I was so excited about the possibility of having love in my life for the first time that I just knew I had to pursue that for the moment. So that was quite a uncomfortable situation to be in, but it just felt mm. like it just instinctively felt like it just you know ignore your career for a moment, Dean. Just go and um, you know see if, you know work on this for the moment, and then everything else will turn out. And as it turned out, within a, you know a, a month or two of being in New Zealand a place where there are even fewer jobs for comedy writers in Australia, I had my first comedy writing job in television, so which was some sort of miracle because there's not many com- TV comedy writing jobs in New Zealand. <laughs> no, no, not, not at all. That, that situation there that you're talking about, it almost sounds like a parallel situation to your conflict of do I want to be a professional golfer or do I want to be a comedy writer that you've, you're saying, well, do I want to stay in LA or do I want to go and pursue this other thing that's also going to be very, very cool? And, uh, I mean, I, it sounds like you've you've made the right decision both times for you for yourself yeah and of course it's never sunshine and roses there's always up up downs in your career in your personal life but i know i've made the right decision um because it just feels right you know and uh i'm very grateful that i had the uh had the the guts to sort of uh, make those decisions because i've always felt like i'm so late to everything i was late i feel it felt like i was late to joining community radio I felt like I was late to doing a screenwriting course. I felt like I was late to getting in a relationship. Well, I was. I was 24. But, <laughs> um, you know, all everyone's on a different... The way I think of it is everyone's on a different timeline in their lives and there is no right time to, you know, have certain life events happen. You're all... Everyone's on a different timeline. We're all, all going to meet someone we love maybe at a different point in our lives. We're always going to... We're all going to finally get that job we really want to have at a different point in our lives, um, especially in like comedy as well. I mean, you think about some of the great comedy writers of all time, people like Larry David who co-created Seinfeld. He was like 39 or 40 or something, or maybe older, when he created Seinfeld. He spent so many years just working on his craft and, uh, you know, getting to a point where he was good enough at his craft to do that. Someone like Ricky Gervais, creator of The Office, the UK version, he was, I think, around 30 when he made that short film, which later spurned the, uh, spawned the TV series The Office. 
the two Ronnies to go way back. Um, the two Ronnies, these two British comedians who were the biggest comedians in their day during the 70s and 80s, they were like 33 before they, you know, before they got their first television show, which led to their success and uh, worldwide acclaim, so to speak. So it's very, very important to be patient and not compare yourself to other people because that will just lead to misery. You'll get there in the end. That is very, very sage advice, and I, I agree with you on that one. That uh, I think so often we're pressured and we think, oh, we need to be successful and we need to, to do this now. Why isn't this working for me? Um, whereas actually, yeah, you, as you're saying, you need, to, you need to learn your craft, you need to put in the time, you need to do the hard work so that you're good enough to actually have a shot at, at being uh, successful in air quotes whatever that means to, to you. And I think, as, as you're saying, that everybody is, is really different with that as well, and we're, we're ready for these different life events to happen at different times during our lives, that what's right for someone isn't right for someone else, and uh, a situation that might happen one year, you'll respond to it really, really differently than you would, say, the year later just because you the way you've changed as a person that is very true yeah there's no right time to do things it's harder when uh, it's a little harder when you've got parents who say when are you getting married when are you getting married how about now how about now like <laughs> like felicity does you know being from an asian background so that's you know a trickier situation i will admit than uh, uh but it's the same sort of thing I don't. I don't think those questions ever stop. <laughs> yeah. the, the questions are: When are you getting married? And then once you're married, when are you having exactly. kids? And then once you have your first kid, when are you having? Your when are you going to stop telling me what to do? When are you going to stop telling me what to do? You're going to stop telling me to live. Never. <laughs> Not until the day I die. Dean, so one other thing that I wanted to ask you actually that, I mean, with with work, we all have good days and we have days that we're not really quite as on form. Do you have days where you just think, man, I'm not funny today? Uh, not really. <laughs> good, Not really. Good. No, because other, um, but I do often think that I don't feel as funny as I was say another day this week because it does ebb and flow just like your feelings or emotions ebb and flow uh, from day to day so I always know I can do the work but I always feel normally that so like sometimes I feel more than other times that I'm really doing some really bad work here <laughs> so it's more that I always know I can get it done in the end and you go through this cycle enough of Oh, last time I felt I was doing absolutely atrocious work. I read it back the next day and it wasn't as bad and it just took a few edits to get it right. So as a lot, that's just about killing your inner editor if, if you're a writer out there. Um, you just need to accept this feeling is part of the job, just like cold mornings are part of being a panel beater. You just, it's just part of the job. It feels crap, but, you know, if you just if you just turn up, Sit down at your desk, turn up at the panel beaters, um, and do your job. Eventually, you'll you know you'll start to produce some good stuff because it doesn't all go away. It's always there. It's just sitting there, and 
especially with writing, it's just a matter of turning up and eventually you'll, you know, the good stuff will start to come. One of my favorite analogies of the creative process is from the Abba, the guys who wrote all the songs for ABBA, Bjorn Olvaeus and Benny Anderson. So those were the two guys in ABBA. And their analogy for songwriting was that there's a dragon in a cave and you're standing outside that cave and you're waiting for the dragon to come out because you want to see the dragon. Nobody's ever seen a dragon before. You know, you want to see the dragon. It's amazing. If you go away, the moment you go away, like from getting, you're like, you're waiting for the dragon to come out. It never comes out. It's just, it's not going to come out. And the moment you go away from the outside of that cave, the dragon's going to come out and it's going to fly away and you'll have missed the dragon. But if you stay outside that cave long enough, eventually the dragon is going to have to come out of that cave. It's going to have to eat. It's going to have to hunt. You're going to see the dragon. So if you turn up at your you know, computer every day with whatever job you're doing, whether it's a paid job or just you're working on your own scripts, if you turn up and you sit there for long enough, eventually the dragon's going to come out and you're going to produce some good stuff. I, I like to keep that in mind because I haven't heard a better analogy uh, since that. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I like that one. Hopefully you're not looking too tasty, though, so the dragon hits <laughs> you when it comes hey, out. Hey, but at least you got to see the dragon before you did. <laughs> you did, you did, yeah. Um, so what, is, what does your writing routine look like for you? Do you have set times that you do it? or? Well, I tend to get up at around... Uh, well, it depends what I'm doing, honestly. But if I'm at home, all, um, I mean, I, I like to try. When I was living in Wellington, I liked to go to the library every day because I couldn't afford to rent off a space at that point. I'd go to the library every day around uh, 10.30 or so. And then I would stay there until about 8 because it would close at 8.30. And I'd just work all day on my stuff, whatever I had to do during the day. And then I would walk home about 40 minutes, so I'd get my exercise in. So that was my sort of routine when I was in Wellington that I'm going to uh, put into plan over here in Melbourne um, now that uh, my partner's found some work, so we're not <laughs> home together every day. She wouldn't be all by herself. So I plan to do a similar thing here, just go off to an office or a library, you know, until I can afford an office space every day, do my work, and then come home. At the moment, I just, I'm just working out of my brother's old bedroom, really, <laughs> at home. <laughs> so we're living with my parents until we can afford to move out again, which will hopefully be in the next couple of months. And I just, you know, come up here every day around yeah, 10 or 10 or so. And I'll just be up here until, you know, seven or eight. And then I'll stop. And, uh, you know, of course I break for lunch and I, you know, go, you know, might go for a walk or uh, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I just find it good to have the evenings free at least and uh, yeah. and and treat it like a proper job because until you take yourself seriously, nobody else is going to treat you seriously. You have to – and that's very tough when you're a sort of an arty-farty sort of person or if you're in, an art, in the arts as well. I mean, that does work for some people, but I think most people, the reason they become successful or they end up getting what they want is because they work hard. And a good way to work hard is just to have a regular schedule. Um, and depending on what I'm working on, the schedule will change, of course. Um, you know, at the moment when I'm, you know, just, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm sort of doing a bit of lots of different projects. Um, 
uh, just, you know, I just fit them all into that hour. There's no structure. It's whatever I've got to do on a particular day. But if I'm working on particular scripts, then I'll sort of schedule in times for the day. Okay, I'm going to work on this script from 10 till 12. And then from 12 till 1, I'm going to work on that. And then I'm going to have an hour break for lunch. I tend to be far more rigidly structured in my days when I'm working on narrative comedy. So if I'm writing sitcoms or web series or a film, those sort of things, in order to force myself to sit down and do the work, I find that I need to have, okay, that's that time of the day, just that. Don't check emails, everything's off, just doing that. Um, yeah, but for the time being, that's uh, that's sort of how my day works. And I'll, I'll do have that sort of schedule for six days a week and then I take one day off and that whole day, I don't, I just spend it all day with my partner. We, we just do other fun stuff. Awesome. I think the the thing that I'm taking out of that is that it's it's about that consistency for you and and just kind of consistently putting in the time waiting waiting for the dragon and uh, that if you're consistently putting putting that in and um, you're going to bring out some some good work and uh, just because of the volume of stuff that you that you're putting through it um, and you hear people talking about um, about writer's block like. George R. R. Martin, for example, talks about writer's block. He's uh, potentially going to be dead before he finishes the uh, the series. Unfortunately. I thought you were going to say before the next this episode came out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't seen a picture of him recently, but he wasn't looking too healthy last time. But actually, the get wow! It'll be next year before the next episode comes out, so he might be. Hopefully not. If you're listening, George, don't die. <laughs> Excellent. I'm going to change tack a little bit here, Dean, and I'm going to ask you, can you tell me about a time that you've failed and what you learnt from it? So I would say that one of the main times that I have failed as a person would be uh, actually my personal life. I mean, there are plenty of work examples you can, because that's just work. <laughs> Every day there's failure, um, but in my personal life, the stake, in, in your personal life, the stakes are a little higher. So I figured it might be a juicier story. Um, <laughs> so in my relationships, you know, I've ne- I'd never been in a proper relationship until I met Felicity. Up until then, I'd always waited for people to sort of fall in love with me rather than saying, "I really love you and I want to be with you." And as a man, especially, something that you, I think, need to have that serves you well is confidence and knowing what you want. And I'd gotten to a point where I was very good at that in my work life, but not so good in my personal life. And it just turned out that time after time, I'd meet these fantastic girls and I'd just just not have the guts to pursue a relationship with them and say, you know, I really like you. Let's try this. Who knows whether it would have worked out. But, um, yeah, the difference between, uh, yeah, being with Felicity now and uh, in the past is that I just finally had the guts to sort of say, I really want to, you know, try and try with you and uh, try being together. And, uh, yeah, so far so good because uh, it turns out my instincts tend to be just as good in my personal life as my professional life. So I'm very, very lucky to uh, to be like that. But that's an example of where 
you know, consistent failure until I was 23 or, yeah, 23 or 24. And then just uh, through the help of, uh, you know, reading self-help books, believe it or not, by authors like John Gray and <laughs> people like that, um, I just learned things through books like that and through talking to other people that um, uh, made me realize there was a couple of things I needed to change uh, in order to get what I wanted. Do you think the LA experience helped with that as well about learning to put yourself out there uh, a little bit more through watching the Americans? Yeah, great example, I think. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, just being able to be positive and uh, I've always been a positive person, but um, yeah, just being able to say what you think and uh, care less about what other people might think. You know, if your intentions are good, you've got nothing to fear because you'll know in your heart you didn't mean to you know, upset someone or if, so, if something if you say something accidentally. And most of the time people forget about that stuff. Yeah, they do. As it's well. just us in our heads, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you just kind of got that internal chatter going on. God, why did I say that? What's going on? What are they going to think of me? Oh, never, they'll never talk to me again. But a week later, they just say, oh, no, it was sweet. <laughs> a week later, they got no one to talk to. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dean, next question for you. What was the last uncomfortable thing that you did? And how did you get through that uncomfortable thing? The last uncomfortable thing I did was moving back into my parents' place. We needed to do it, my father and I, because we didn't quite have enough money. It takes a lot of money to move from New Zealand to us back to Australia, it turns out, even if you're from Australia. So moving back into my parents' place is quite an uncomfortable thing to do because I'd learned how great it is to be independent. And it's uh, it's humbling to move back into your parents' place because the subtext is you're saying, I need help and I need your support for a little while, even though I'm in my mid-20s and I'm starting to earn my living and was able to pay my rent when I was in New Zealand off my own back. And uh, so that was, uh, yeah, that was quite an uncomfortable thing to do. Um, as well as, you know, having Felicity move into my parents' place with me. Um, you know, I've been a person where I've never really wanted to introduce my friends to my parents, even though they're great people. And there's no reason for me to not want to do that. But I was just a bit insecure growing up and uh, in, I guess, yeah, up until recently. Um, so that was something that had to happen and I had no choice but to deal with it. Um, but it's never as bad as you think it'll be and it's been great and it's been pretty, you know, fairly easy in the uh, in the end. Was that a decision that you, again, stewed on for a little while uh, and were worried about what people would think? Would Not think? really. No, I was just like, this is our only option. This is the only option that makes sense. There's more opportunities for uh, what we both want to do in Australia, even though I loved New Zealand. Oh, my God, I miss it so much. Not just the Lewis Road Creamly chocolate milk. Uh, <laughs> so the people are just fantastic and I love New Zealand and going back in January for a wedding which is very exciting so I can't wait but um yeah um yeah it was it was yeah I just I knew it had to happen moving back into my parents place here for a little while um initially I said we'll just be here for three months 
five months later, we're still here. Hopefully, within three months of this five-month period, we will be out, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> Good luck with that one. I'll keep, I'll keep the listeners up to date <laughs> about how you're going with that Please as well. <laughs> so, this is episode 120. Dean is still living with his parents. Um, Dean, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to be Move doing? Move out of my parents' place. That's going to be the next uncomfortable thing. You know, I can't stay here forever um, and it'll be uncomfortable because it'll be once again being back out on my own, although Felicity and I have lived on our own together before. So we're, we're so lucky, I feel, that we've had that experience. We know how to live on our own um, together. That was a contradictory statement, but <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be the next uncomfortable thing to do, especially in Melbourne. It's a lot more expensive to live in Melbourne, to rent in Melbourne than it is in Wellington. The, just the cost of living is much higher over here. Yes, there are more opportunities, et cetera, et cetera, but I didn't need a car in Wellington, for example, to get around. Um, I was living in Wadestown. We were living in Wadestown, and uh, it was great. I could just walk to Cuba Street in you know, 35 minutes. As a former golfer, I walk at a good pace. <laughs> Here in Melbourne, you have to get in your car, drive to the train station, take the train for 45 minutes into the city, at least from where we're living out in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne at the moment, out here near Ringwood. Um, so, you know, it's good, though, because you get to listen to podcasts like uh, Uncomfortable is OK. <laughs> On the train. Oh, I like the plug there. <laughs> I'll have to put out a bit more content, actually, to uh, to keep up with your commuting schedule. <laughs> Dean, if people want to find out more about you online or to to follow your uh, your journey, where can they where can they look? I'll put all these links in the in the notes for the show as well. DeanWatsonComedy.com is the best place to go, and uh, everything you need to know about me and some things you probably don't are on there. That's the place to go. You can also uh, you can also visit learncoach.co.nz. That's a startup company that I currently write for. They're currently they what they do is they provide free online video tutorials for NCA students. So it's just for New Zealand high school students doing their NCA exams, and it's all free. And you can go onto the website learncoach.co.nz and all the videos are there and I, I became involved late last year uh, which would be 2015 around September 2015 because I saw that this this the, the these videos this service was the most used of its kind in all of New Zealand and I and I thought gee these videos are brilliant but if there was humor in these videos they would be so much better and I felt like I could really bring something to them and so I got involved that way and uh, have just tried to bring what I know from comedy to what uh, the founders of the company uh, know in terms of their education background and uh, it's just the greatest job to have on the side of my television comedy writing um, because it's still writing comedy for an audience Fantastic. And for those regular listeners, you'll be able to find the episode with Deb and Dave from Learn Coach at uh, episode number 10. And actually on that episode, 
Deb and Dave uh, said that some of the best advice you gave them was about their website. Ah. You gave them a bit of feedback and said, yeah, the, the website looks great if you're an accountant. That sounds like Diplomatic Dean right there. <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of thought, oh, I don't know how well that's going to appeal to high school students in New Zealand. <laughs> Again, it's probably like the the head cheesemaker. The the per, there's some people out there, some high school students that are going to love accounting websites, but they're going to be the similar ones to uh, the ones that like hanging out in the cheese fridge at seven degrees. <laughs> I think that's a pretty accurate summary of that uh, whole saga. <laughs> well, given I'm uh, yeah just finishing up working on my own website at the moment, uh, I hope I do a good job. Excellent. We'll, we'll get you some feedback on it as well. Accountants <laughs> specifically to give some feedback. Yeah, I know a few accountants, so I'll ask them for <laughs> uh, for feedback for you. So, Dean, before we wrap this up, do you have any uh, advice for the listeners, or life lessons, or, or interesting facts? I would say we've covered most of them. Um, but uh, if you just do do things that you love. It's easier, of course, to do that when you're a little younger and the stakes aren't as high. You don't have a family to provide for. Um, but it's never too late. There is always a way. So if you just do things you love and that make you feel good, or as you said earlier, that you're curious about, it will lead to good things. It will lead to good things. It always will. Just like me going to Los Angeles resulted in me meeting the person I love. Something Good will always come of it, even if it's not what you expected. So just do things you love and the world will take care of itself. I think that's a great note to uh, finish up on. Thanks very much for your uh, time today, Dean. It's been great to sit down and, and have a chat with you. And uh, hopefully we can meet in person uh, at some point when you're, uh, when you're back in Wellington or uh, when I'm over Sounds in Melbourne. Sounds great, Chris. Thanks very much for having me.